Hello and welcome everyone. So today we are joined by Mandana, who is head of business development at Kaleidoscope Bio. Uh, Planet Bio is in no way affiliated with uh, any other corporate entities. It is a friendly side project of Jeff Hannigan, Alexa Goldman, and myself, Hamdi. As a note for everyone else here, uh, this session will be recorded. Welcome, Mandana. Thanks for having me, Hamdi. I'm excited. And we're excited to have you here. Um, so before we get any deeper into your background, can you just tell us a little bit about Kaleidoscope Bio and your role? Absolutely. So Kaleidoscope is a really special company to me as a former scientist because really the goal is to build software for scientists. Life science teams, engineers, really help them understand their data more easily, collaborate together, and also track the critical decisions that are required to move a product or an idea, even from a discovery stage forward. And our platform is an application layer that sits on top of your company's data and connects like the molecules or proteins or antibodies or fermentations, whatever it is you work with, um, to the actual operations that you're doing on them. So biochemical assays, high throughput screens, any type of um, sort of manipulation that you're doing on these entities to get results. And then we're also connecting all of that to human beings. So who is it that's doing the work? When are they doing it? Um, in science, it's incredibly difficult to uh, see where the connections are between the people, the work they did, and the actual um, molecules or um, properties of things that they're working on. So we give this really powerful framework to scientists so that they can automatically track all of this information and present it in a way that anyone in their team can understand. So you can think about it like if I'm presenting a um, PowerPoint to an investor, um, my manager, a research associate, anyone at a company, what if that PowerPoint presentation actually had data behind it such that you could just click on the graph or you could click on the you know diagram of the antibody or the nanoparticle and behind it um, you could see all of the data from electronic lab notebooks or Excel files and all of the information, who did it, when they did it, and that information is always there. Um, that's kind of the little gist of what Kaleidoscope does. Great, thank you for that. And you mentioned at the start how this kind of transitioned from your background as a scientist uh, into your journey of now. So uh, if you could, for our audience here, give a bit, little bit of background as to uh, your scientific uh, narrative, like what brought you into biology? Sure. Um, so I actually wanted to be an actress and really um, I like to talk and I like to listen and I like to learn. But I think what's interesting is I meet a lot of people in my personal life and my professional life who love to learn um, for the satisfaction of knowing. And I love to learn and always have for the satisfaction of sharing. 
And really that led me through many, many years in academia and pursuing education at the highest level that I could because I felt such satisfaction um, from really breaking down complex ideas and sitting down and being able to explain that to someone and see the sort of um, enlightenment in their face um, that many of my professors or teachers or even people in my own family provided to me. Um, and specifically, I was interested in um, the effect of learning on human health and how we could improve uh, medicine because a lot of people in my family growing up have a very um, painful autoimmune disease called rheumatoid arthritis. And watching the progress of science just through looking at the bodies of my grandmother and my mother um, and their joints was really incredible to me. My grandmother, she um, lived in Iran and she did have access to medicine from Europe and the United States, but at the time there was nothing um, that could sort of stop her disease. And when I looked at my mom, for the same duration of time, her joints looked okay and she was able to function. And the reason why is because of biologics and these incredible medicines that people had developed over time. And for me, the process of discovery and learning kind of led um, down a path to the lab. Great. And, uh, you know, if you could enlighten a little bit of the crowd here a bit as to what was your laboratory experience like? Uh, what did you first kind of research on? What did you get really deep into? And uh, what made you realize that perhaps the, you know, the startup business world might be the best way of getting those ideas out there? So I had no idea what the world was like. Um, I grew up with a dad who's a professor in civil engineering, and I only knew about the path of academia growing up. And so I wanted to explore and kind of see what's out there. I went to a public high school in Maryland, and a lot of the kids um, in my high school actually knew somebody who had worked at NIH, the National Institute of Health, um, which was only uh, a few miles from my house growing up. And so my dream was to work there. And I um, ended up actually emailing uh, 50 people. And this is back in like 2004 um, when, you know, we had uh, dial up and emails were slower to go. And most of them didn't respond. But a woman, Mary Beth Iden, who um, headed the molecular virology lab at NIH, gave me an opportunity to come in for a summer. And that's where I learned all of my molecular biology lab techniques and um, cell culture. And, you know, being a high school student, I had no idea what I was actually doing um, scientifically. And so that was a really fun experience. It really got my, um, I guess, hands wet um, in the lab. And then uh, that kind of led me down a path of pursuing the sort of cross-section between science, math, and biology. So I ended up going to um, MIT to study chemical engineering and spent a lot of time in labs um, in internships. And at MIT specifically, I was an undergraduate research um, assistant at Dane Whitrop's lab where they use yeast display to 
um, develop protein therapeutics. And Dane Wittrop is one of the co-founders of the company Atomab, which I think we all know well. Um, if we've ever used, you know, an antibody in the lab, that's sort of a gold standard place to get it from. And so that process kind of brought me to um, realizing that the academic world is the engine for all of the discovery that we see and all of the um, shifts in medicine in the clinic, but there are places where exploration is relatively limited, but execution is sort of the highest priority. And a lot of those places end up being startups. Um, you have limited funding and exploration is fun and maybe you can get some grants or other opportunities to explore, but really the goal is to move something forward translationally, and that was always my dream. So I ended up um, actually going to a flagship company called Eleven Biotherapeutics out of um, the Wittrop lab, and I had a flow cytometer to myself. I would do yeast display libraries, day and night, affinity maturation, trying to find um, protein therapeutics that would um, behaviorally potently for a variety of different diseases. And it was at 11 that I learned, you know, what the phases of clinical trials are or what the phases of fundraising is for um, a company. And it was also the first place that I experienced having a female CEO. Abby Selnicker was our um, CEO at the time. She's now at Third Rock. And just having that inspiration and the context for where drugs go or where platforms go um, in the translational world was an incredible experience for me. So that was kind of my first foray into it. I was a research associate there and I realized, you know, if you want to be um, at the table making decisions, um, you have to take your education a little bit further. So I ended up at Duke um, for my PhD. And that was a really interesting experience because I worked on so many different types of modalities. Um, all of them were geared towards cancer therapy, but I saw a lot of pitfalls in different modalities and um, my expertise ended up being in protein engineering for um, certain material properties that would have proteins hang around longer in the body. And at the time, CRISPR was a a uh, really hot sort of tool that you could use in the lab. So I went and found uh, a wonderful professor um, to collaborate with. I was in Tosh Chilcote's lab and he, we were in the biomedical engineering department um, and Chris Wood was in the pharmacology depa department. And this guy, he um, was a chemical engineer like me. So we worked together and came up with these amazing drug combos and um, a lot of them were incredibly toxic. So my next sort of step was to go to Memorial Sloan Kettering to learn how to make cancer therapies less toxic. And I spent uh, two years there working on a variety of projects, always with uh, physicians at Sloan Kettering, kind of moving more towards translation. And my favorite part of doing that was, um, aside from my incredible uh, mentor, Dan Heller, the fact that I was working for a professor who was also building companies. And so I started to explore the New York ecosystem in startups 
and soon realized that while you know I had been preparing my whole career for an academic one, um, my passion really in connecting different fields extended to also then connecting with people more so than is possible in sort of an academic career. So I moved to um, a business development and corporate strategy position at what was then a stealth company called Resilience, and the rest is history. Um, I think we kind of chatted about what makes Kaleidoscope really special to me um, as a software company that's building specifically for scientists, and I think that came really naturally after seeing sort of the repetitiveness or um, the pitfalls and successes of many different companies from the investor angle at Resilience. That's great. And actually, you bring up an interesting contrast, and I was wondering that you can help tease apart, is that, you know, you've you've mentioned uh, coming out of undergrad, working for a venture-created startup, uh, working with Resilience, which was another VC-created startup rather than a classic uh, VC investment. And now uh, you're part of the Kaleidoscope Bio team, which, you know, is operated from a, a small seed investment now at this stage and has been uh, growing and been pretty busy quite fast, but it's probably a different sort of scale of uh, work and expectations and narrative. What was that contrast like for you? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So the beginning um, at Resilience is quite similar to my experience at Kaleidoscope in that um, there's incredible energy. Uh, the team um, is incredibly motivated to sort of uh, bring the vision to fruition. And I think the difference between a venture sort of created startup like Resilience and one that um, is smaller and sort of um, more paced like Kaleidoscope is the level of um, experimentation that's possible. So at Resilience, it was more about um, completing the mission and um, taking the ideas forward in very tried and true ways. Um, I learned a lot from folks that had come from Big Pharma or venture studios or um, actually venture arms of Big Pharma. And what they were able to do is sort of flex the um, capabilities that they had built in other contexts to build a, a, quite a behemoth. So resilience grew from 50 to 2,500 people in the two years that I was there. And granted, I think a lot of that um, was through acquisition, but it also has a big impact on your strategy. And I think one thing that really sticks out to me that I'm grateful for um, at Kaleidoscope is that we as a tech company have the flexibility to experiment with different models, different pricing strategies. Um, we have a really wonderful kaleidoscope of individuals at Kaleidoscope where the expertise of each individual is really complementary to the others. And so we are constantly learning from each other and like I say to the team, um, experiments are cheap in tech. 
they're not a, a very cheap in uh, manufacturing process development or therapeutics companies. Yeah, and that's a pretty interesting uh, contrast that you bring up, actually, on the idea of cost and speed. Um, because classically, a lot of biotech was what I would call hard and squishy, right? You have to do these experiments, you have to handle reagents, you have to test uh, their functionality. And we're, we're having this new wave of digital natives entering this field and figuring out ways to kind of both automate and better communicate findings. So what has that change been like in working with some of your colleagues? And how has that kind of inspired the thrust that you've had in striking up uh, collaborations that you have with, uh, for Kaleidoscope Bio? Absolutely. I think um, in terms of the second part of the question, collaborations that we can sort of embark on pretty quickly, because um, a lot of our uh, customers also have some technical expertise, given that um, machine learning and sort of computational methods for discovery or even um, prediction of uh, preclinical proof of concept or success has become more um, common. Uh, we speak the same language already, and I think that kind of lowers the barrier to collaboration a lot of the time. Um, and on the flip side, I think um, wet lab is here to stay. Um, we don't understand biology enough to um, reduce it to zeros and ones, and it's really incredible to work with a team that understands that, but then also is building software that um, sort of reflects the iterative and sort of spider web approach that uh, wet lab work requires. And it's not just, you know, a simple flow from one step to the next. So that piece has been really incredible. And I also learn constantly from the team, um, even just the tools that you use to run a company have significantly uh, changed even in the past two and a half years that I've been sort of on the business side at startups. Um, and there's more efficient ways to do things. Unfortunately, I do think because of the level of experience, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate, but biotech success really does take a ton of experience from the regulatory side, from quality. Um, you really have to have a tried and true team once you get out of the discovery phase into the translation to the clinic. And I think in part, um, there's some technophobes out there. I think that's very understandable, but you know, we can either call them that or we can reflect on how we present um, technology to those folks and bring them into the fold, get them excited about it and lower the barrier to them using it or rolling it out with their teams. And you, you bring up a great uh, element of a human barrier as it is in growth in this uh, tar target identification of uh, technophobes, if you will, in this catalytic process of innovation. Um, what what techniques have you tried for both like communicating that's broadly ap uh, applicable to most of our listeners here and which learnings you found that you feel like is probably fairly unique and probably is not repeatable do you mean um at resilience or 
Uh, I would say probably more currently, actually. So, you know, as, as you speak with other people who are like, hey, I'm resistant about trying to use this new tool in my workflow. How do you go about, you know, getting engagement and getting people to try it out and say, yes, this is actually making changes? Which of those techniques you've learned from others and you find actually translatable? And which ones are probably like specifically very unique that is probably not quite repeatable? Obviously, both of those might be uh, not full answers. No, I appreciate that a lot. So I think the thing that, um, you know, is is sometimes missing. There's two things that are sometimes missing in um, software for fields that are kind of new to digital outside of the technical, like software um, engineers or data scientists that... Um, do the work specific to that particular company. Um, One thing is really the challenge of uh, onboarding. And the second thing is the challenge of understanding exactly what that team is doing. So on one hand, um, onboarding can take a ton of time. And one learning that we had at Kaleidoscope is explaining explicitly that Kaleidoscope is willing to do the majority of the lift. And working with us just means that you can spend a couple hours um, with us sitting side by side and explaining your science. And then we actually take the time to translate that to our tool and come back to you and say, like, is this exactly what you want it to be? That was an incredible learning for us. Um, and then second piece is, uh, you know, the time that it takes. Um, I think that those two together are huge learnings for us. And we have a lot of luck sort of explaining to folks that um, we have templates, we have reference tables, we have sort of the context that you need, but also we understand your science. And I think that's a big challenge that I've seen other companies that pitch sort of software for scientists struggle with. Um, There's a level of humility that is difficult to replicate, um, in my opinion, and it really requires um, sitting down and listening to people and having those trial and error moments where you go and build something and they tell you like, no, this is not what I meant, and then you completely scrap it and uh, build something else that makes more sense. And I've seen the team do that so quickly at Kaleidoscope that it kind of makes the um, partner's head spin, which is incredible. Um, And I do think that being lean and small allows you to do things uh, without sort of the um, necessary hierarchy of steps that it typically takes to experiment in a bigger company. So that kind of stuff is much harder to replicate for uh, a behemoth or a big sort of digital company that um, is not in the startup phase. Oh, those are great insights. Thank you. And down to our last two questions for you, Madonna. Uh, First off is kind of a little bit of a retrospective. Um, What sort of advice would you want to hear for yourself of 10 years ago if you were around today? Uh, to rephrase it as is, you know, if you were speaking to a early PhD candidate as they're trying to figure out what they're doing or an early uh, first career job in biotech, what should they keep in mind 
to really be best enabled for their future today. So I think the advice that I would give is that you're on the right track um, to myself in thinking that it is absolutely critical to immerse yourself in knowledge outside of your thesis work. Um, I've trained a lot of PhD students through my postdoc and I have the pleasure of mentoring a lot of young people coming out of their PhDs now. And one of the things that provided me with the opportunities that I've earned over the past few years is the depth to which I understand many different forms of science, the breadth of understanding what it takes to have a go-no-go experiment regardless of the indication. All of that means that you have to take classes outside of your direct sort of thesis work context. You have to um, go to seminars. You have to brainstorm with your classmates. And that was really hard to sort of um, focus on for me because a lot of my peers were focused on graduating as soon as possible and having the best thesis. And most PhDs know you rarely sort of use the very specifics of what you um, built or learned in your PhD for your dissertation, but you use the learning about how to solve problems constantly. And so having a breadth of experience is critical. Like I took a class with the person who invented the protein ribbon diagram, Jane Richardson. And, you know, a lot of folks in the labs didn't understand why I would take a structural biology class as a biomaterials and um, genome editing person. But that experience led me to really understand proteins to a different level when I was a postdoc at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And my love of that actually led me to sort of network at the protein engineering conference last week in Boston. So you kind of never know where that pursuit of knowledge will take you. Um, and I think openness to learning and kind of um, avoiding narrowing your mindset is, is great advice uh, for anyone. And I have to remind myself sometimes. That's great. And then as a final question, uh, something a bit more fun, which is choose one of two. One question is, what is a big question of biology that you're interested or excited to find an answer for in the next five years? Basically, what are people working on now that no one really knows the answer of? Or second, what is an emerging trend right now that people in the next six to 12 months should probably keep an ear open on as it could probably impact, you know, uh, biotech and uh, the startups we might see in the coming year. Okay, so I think um, in terms of trends, the sort of machine learning application to 
biology is something that we're seeing a lot, and that's no surprise to anyone. I don't think much is going to change in the next 6 to 12 months. But what I would say is perhaps there will be a lot of surprises that that is not the holy grail. So we see a lot of um, venture funds that are focused at the intersection of um, machine learning or AI and biology. And I think um, there can be a great deal of impact by using computational prowess and power to study biology. But at the same time, there are things that we just don't understand. And I think the people that can take computational power to the next level in like quantum computing, those are the folks that are going to make um, sort of a disruptive change in this field. And I don't know what that's going to look like, but um, I think it's just a lot more complicated than we kind of give it credit for right now. That is a sharp answer and definitely am excited about the trends of increasing compute power and quantum computing effects in kind of helping discover our next wave of discoveries. Um, that said, Mandana, once again, thank you for joining us today. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you all for listening in live. Um, this recording will actually be edited and cleaned up and put together on our Planet Bio podcast feed in the near future. With that, farewell, everyone. Thank you.